Thanks, Sarah, who got through about 15 announcements in three minutes. Nice job. That was really good. <laughs> so uh, Acts 2, right? Uh, everybody starts speaking different languages to one another. We preached, I, we preached on this, what, three weeks ago? Everybody starts speaking these different languages, and people are like, wow, Jesus is real, and the Holy Spirit is real, and what do we do with this? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Now, if you were here three weeks ago, you heard that repent means change your mind. Change your mind about the way things look and the way things feel and the way things seem. Change your mind and then be baptized. And what was baptism? Baptism at that time was an exclusive thing that kept people away from God. And when Peter says be baptized, Peter's saying this is an inclusive thing where everyone is invited into the kingdom of God. Everyone is invited to journey in the same way that Jesus Christ journeyed. And so today I am so excited because we have someone who has chosen to journey with Christ today in baptism. And so can we please welcome up Annie Ma. Uh, all right, so Jonathan told me that I have to tell my story. Um, so I have to say, I don't really know when my story starts. Faith is one of those things that. Um, that as I learn and contemplate more, I realize that it has always been, always been present. Whether I knew it by name or not, I remember as a kid hoping, sometimes, you know, speaking to an unknown something, but still hoping, despite being raised in a completely secular, not atheist, not agnostic, secular household. Um, but that's not to say that I'm special or anything. Um, I think it's a very human thing to hope in that way. My family moved a lot when I was little, um, a lot of the time to a different country with a whole different culture and sometimes language. So I think I picked up this habit of hoping through watching people, you know, very different people do their very different versions of it. It was a way to place myself in the world and to manage the uncertainties that presented before me, and I'm sure it is that way for a lot of people as well. So I've come to understand this hoping to be prayer. It's, it still sounds really strange to me. It's not something I'm used to. And all of this seems really strange to me. But if you know me well, I'm really weird, like at least a little bit, so. Um, but I understand strangeness to be a good thing. If anything, the weird and the absurd is how I've come to recognize the big man's presence. As a kid, I was, you know, always the odd one out. I just did my own thing because I was always just, you know, different kid in a different place. Um, but a realization, I've, a realization I've had since is that I never really doubted or disliked my difference as a kid, um, like many kids do, even in the face of a family who did. I joke that I was born shameless. <laughs> But the truth is, I was blessed with the beautiful privilege of always finding people who embrace not only my eccentricity, but their own as well. It's through knowing people stubborn about the way they don't fit in that I learned to do so and continue to do so. Um, and it's through being weird that I have beauty around me. I have to confess that being baptized is super weird, as I said earlier, um, and I'm sure it's going to continue to be weird. But 
this whole experience of exploring religion has mostly been wonderful and also completely absurd. And we'll keep on going that way. Um, it's bizarre and it's surreal, but I choose to be baptized because it's an important milestone. It's an event that means a lot of things, but most of all, it means admitting to his presence in my life. It marks a change, as Jonathan says, in how I've come to view the world, and it's a giant, beautiful oxymoron that just somehow works, and that's the best way I know how to explain that, and that's that. that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? Yep. And do you choose to follow him for the rest of your life? Yep. Amen. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Congratulations. We could keep applauding. It doesn't have to stop. Speak. I get to speak now. All right. Proverbs 8. Follow along if you want to on your, uh, on your iPhones or whatever you have. That's 8, 1 through 11. This is what it says. Does not wisdom call out? Does not, does not understanding raise her voice? At the highest point along the way where the paths meet, she takes her stand beside the gate, leading into the city. At the entrance, she cries aloud. To you, O people, I call out. I raise my voice to all mankind. To you who are simple, gain prudence. To you foolish, set your hearts on it. Listen, for I have trustworthy things to say. Open my lips to speak what is right, my mouth to speak what is true, for my lips to test wickedness. All the words of my mouth are just, none of them are crooked or perverse. To the discerning, all of them are right, and they are upright to those who have found knowledge. Choose my instruction instead of silver, knowledge rather than the choice of gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you can desire compares with her. What are we noticing? What is wisdom called? Wisdom's called a woman. Wisdom is a woman. Um, a few years ago, a long time ago, I, I was at a party with a friend, and this woman shows up, and she shows up on this incredible motorcycle that I'm not a motorcycle person. I had no idea what it was, right? Um, and she pulls up, but my friend knows exactly what kind of motorcycle it is, and he walks up, and he's like, that's an amazing bike, and she goes, thanks, I have three of them. Now, in my mind, right, I'm like, that is interesting, right? Why does she have three of these motorcycles? Like, what's going on? And so I'm like getting ready to ask some questions, and then my buddy's like, uh, my buddy's like oh, yeah, you got to have this kind of bike. Right? And then he starts talking about like how many cc's it has. Like bikes have cc's. You all know that? Yeah, now you're learning, right? And he starts, starts, like, starts talking about components and other parts of it. And she's going, yeah, mm-hmm, uh-huh. And, and, then, and then he goes, well, where'd you get it? And she goes, well, I get them from the manufacturer. Now, that's pretty interesting too, right? 
She like has three. She gets them from the manufacturer. And so I'm about to be like, what is it that you do? And he goes, oh, yeah, the manufacturer, yeah. Uh, I know, you know, so-and-so down over there who works in this department. And she goes, yeah, yeah, I, I know him too. And I was like, how do you know him? And she was like, well, I'm a professional Grand Prix racer, and I work for this company. <laughs> and I was like, mansplain the entire way. And so as I tell a mansplain story, I stand up here with the full irony that I am now going to mansplain to you why that, that why patriarchal dominion is not what God intended for the world. Patriarchal dominion is not what God intended for the world. That's what I'm about to do. And, and I'm about to do this because we have some scriptures. We have some scriptures that tell us that women should be subservient to men. And what are we supposed to do with those? Don't worry, they're coming. You just got to come back next week. Um, but today I want to focus on what God does intend. What did God intend when God created gender? What did God intend when he got created humanity? Uh, was it the patriarchy that we've had and we've, we've had for thousands of years, or was it something different? And for us to check on that, what I want us to do is I want us to now go back to Genesis. Why is, why is, why is, why is wisdom called her? Why is that? We'll go back to Genesis and find that out. So if you want to, I'm going to be back in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. And what we see when we look back at, at Genesis 1, 26 and 27 is we see that God created humanity and declared that all humans are created in God's image. All humans are created in God's image and that they will have co-dominion over the earth. All right, so let's talk about the word dominion. How many people love the word dominion? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. Thanks, Pierre. Me and you, buddy. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, dominion has this like uh, domineering Sort of, sort of patriarchal kind of connotation to it, right? It feels male-dominated where everybody else is subservient, and we could go on and on. It feels white male-dominated, and everything feels subservient from there. We need to rescue the word dominion. That's the first thing we need to do. Because when God creates the perfect kingdom, God's kingdom, the kingdom that God's won, what God says dominion is, is it's a uniting together to bring flourishing. Doesn't that make dominion sound so much better? I concur. United together to bring flourishing. So when we look at, at, when we look at um, uh, Genesis, we, we see we're, we're, we're united together to bring co-dominion. Let all have dominion. And the text makes no di uh, distinction between male and female dominion. It's just your co, right? You're, you're both. Both humans creating dominion. Now, what we need to do for this next part of Genesis is we need to, need to take off the lenses for which we see Scripture. Because the truth of the matter is we see Scripture through the lens of a male most of the time. But when you take that out, what we come to see in its most purest form is that when God talks about, when Scripture talks about Adam and Eve, what we're really getting are two distinct words. One is Adam, and the other is Ezer. Now, what does Adam mean? Adam or Adam means first. It has no gender. It just means you are the first human that is here. You are the first human that has arrived. That's all Adam means. That's it. Nothing else. So what does Ezer mean? Eve. Ezer means helper, okay? Now, what does helper mean? Well, this kind of Ezer, it shows up 21 different times in our text, and this is what it means whenever it shows up. It shows up in this context. It shows up as the point person in a military fight or a military battle. Isn't that kind of weird? Point person in a military battle. But let me ask you a question. Who is the point person in a military battle? Somebody tell me. A general? Usually it's a... It's a leader, right? It's somebody who's leading a charge. 
So when we have Adam and Eve, we have the first human, and then we have the easer human, the helper human, who's actually leading the charge. Isn't that really interesting? This is what it means straight. This is the context from which we're taking it from. Okay, so what we have is that. And then we have this, okay? And this is when gender first shows itself in Scripture. It's Genesis 2.23, and it says, This at last is the bone of my bones and the flesh of my flesh. This one should be called woman, for out of man this one is taken. So what we have is we have Adam saying, okay, I'm going to recognize that there's new genders. There's two genders. There's this one gender, and I was first, but then there's this other gender who's easer, which means the point person in a military battle, which means the leader, right? What do we do with that? And they have co-dominion. Having co-dominion means they are both working together in unity to bring the flourishing that God intended. They're both in charge. They're both doing the work that they're supposed to be doing based on their strengths, right? This is what dominion means. That's where we are, right? So right now, when God gets what God wants, God gets two people who are created equally in God's image, both uh, who, uh, with two different genders, one not better than the other. When does this all change? When does this all change? It changes when sin comes into place, when sin happens. I always say sin is the intentional getting in the way of what God intends for our kingdom. That's what I say sin is. It's getting in the way of what God intends for our kingdom. Somewhere along the line, we got in the way of what God intended for our kingdom. That's what we did. And when that happened, the fall happens, right? We've heard of the fall. We've called it the fall before. Everybody with me? Good. And so when the fall happens and God, does no, God no longer gets what God wants, now imperfection is here, and now brokenness is here, and now sin is here, this is what God says. And God says this, and it's Genesis 3.16. He says, to the woman... I'm going to make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children, and your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So it's not until we have brokenness. It's not until we have sin. It's not until we have imperfection. It's not until we have uh, something that gets messed up that was different from what God wanted that we create a patriarchy where men are above women. But then we just run with that patriarchy. We run with that brokenness. Because then in Deuteronomy, in Leviticus, we have, we have uh, story after story, and we have assertion after assertion that says that women are property. It says that women, uh, they can only be married to certain people, and if their husband dies, they have to be married to husband's brother. In some cases, women are put to death for something as simple as not being able to have children. And that's all in our scripture. At some point, we take this imperfection, this thing that God never wanted, and we run with this to the point where we have stories like one that was talked about last week, where you have King David, a man after God's own heart, and he has two children, a son named Amnon and a daughter named Tamar, and Amnon loves Tamar, loves, lusts after Tamar, right? Lusts after Tamar to the point where he rapes her, and in raping her, she has no say in what happens to the point where now she can't have kids, now she can't get married, now she must live in destitution, as the Bible tells us, right? And and they come back, and they come back to King David, a man after God's own heart. And they say, King David, your son did this. Your son raped your daughter. Your son put her in this position. And King David, a man after God's own heart, sides with his son. And these are the stories we get when we go against what God intended, when we run with the brokenness and imperfection and sinfulness. God intended co-dominion. God intended for us to work together in unity to bring flourishing, and we ruined that. And we're still ruining it. 1.1 million women last year reported being assaulted in some capacity. That's the size of like the fifth largest city in America. 
300,000 women said that, that they were reported being raped. That's, that's disgusting. 4.5 million women were trafficked. What we had in our scriptures continues to happen today. And it continues to happen because out of our scriptures, out of our brokenness, out of our sinfulness, we've gone against what God wanted and we've created a patriarchy that comes directly from our scriptures. And so what we say, or we say things like this, in fact, this is so important that I want to read it. Wisdom cries out to us, right? Wisdom cries out and says, hear me. And we go, no, I can't hear you because our scriptures say all this stuff about the subjugation of women when that was not God's design at all. God's design from the beginning was to see men and women as mutual helpers to one another, to both have dominion, to both lead. It was our imperfection that ruined that. Wisdom cries out. And we don't hear it. We don't hear it. I'm part of a patriarchy. I'm part of a tradition that has allowed men to be placed over women over and over and over again. I'm part of that. Why am I part of that? Because I haven't been told the good news. I've been told the good news that God creates co-dominion for God's children, regardless of what gender they identify as. So what do we have to do? Where do we go from a place like this? I mean, I, I think the place we go is we go to Jesus Christ. And what we say at this church over and over again is Jesus Christ is good news. Why is Jesus Christ good news? Because whenever we want to know what God is up to, whenever we want to see what God thinks or what God wants for God's kingdom, all we have to do is look at Jesus. That's what we do. Jesus cannot be trumped, okay? And this is it. We look at Jesus, and Jesus is what God wants when God wants perfection. That's what it looks like. And what do we see with Jesus? We see with Jesus restoring women to places of code. Dominion every single time. Y'all are sick of me telling stories about the Samaritan woman, but I have to tell it again because he walks up to a Samaritan woman who was property, the lowest of low, nobody who should be talked to. You want to talk about wisdom and not hearing it? That was her, right? And Jesus walks to her and he says, Hey, I know you and I know you want living water. And she becomes the first evangelical in the whole history of the world. Right? Because what does she do? She goes and tells her friends. She's like, hey, listen to this person who told me everything about myself. Listen to them. What Jesus does is Jesus affirms this woman, lifts her up, dignifies this woman, and says, you, you are a co-dominion. You, you, you are a co-creator with me in bringing the flourishing that God intended to this place. Now go do that. Go out and continue to be that evangelical. How about the woman that was bleeding for 12 years? Raise your hand if you heard this story about the woman bleeding for 12 years. It's crazy. You know, in our scriptures, it says if a woman is just bleeding for a few days, uh, that they need to go pitch a tent outside their property. They have to stay there by themselves so they're done bleeding. That's what it says. So you're outside of this compound where your whole family is and all your friends are and everybody's there, and you're just in a tent because you're bleeding. Now imagine having that happen for 12 years, just by yourself, outside. You can't see your family. 12 years. You'd be desperate, and she's desperate, and so she goes, and she grabs Jesus' cloak, and Jesus stops and he goes, your faith has healed you. And not only does he say your faith has healed you, then he says, you are my daughter. Like he invites her in. Again, he affirms her. He affirms her. He brings dignity to her. He says, you have been considered an outsider, literally. And now I'm telling you, you are part of my family. You are, a co, uh, you are part of my co-dominionship. You are creating with me what God intended for this place, the flourishing that God intended. The book of Luke. How many people have heard of Mary's Magnificat? Oh, no. I got some work to do. We all got some work to do. Mary's Magnificat is one of the most theological important 
uh, songs in all of our scriptures. I mean, it speaks to who Jesus Christ is. It speaks to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It speaks to everything good that's going to happen. And it is purposely given to Mary. And it's given to Mary because what the writer of Luke wanted us to know was that even though men usually foretold these things and said these things and did these things, that it was going to be a woman who was going to have co-dominionship and who was going to have dominion over this story and this scripture. And she is affirmed and she is dignified and she brings it back to what God intended. How about Matthew? He tells this giant long, um, you know, it's a genealogy at the beginning of Matthew. How many people have read that genealogy? All of you I know. Good. And what does Jesus do in that genealogy? Well, there's women in that genealogy. If you're a first century Jew, that's ridiculous. You would never put women in your genealogy. It was all about men. In the book of Matthew, women are there. Why? Because women play the same exact role, if not a more important role, than men in bringing Jesus to this place, bringing Jesus to light. We see over and over the restoration of what God intended, what God wants when God says this is perfection, and what God wants is for us to establish co-dominionship. Not patriarchy, not thousands of years of oppression. Co-dominionship, where we work together united, united to bring the peace that God intends. So, men in the room, I'm going to talk to us for a second. We've been brought up in such a patriarchy that I've been brought up, I'll speak for me, I've been brought up in such a patriarchy where I've definitely dismissed wisdom. I've been brought up in such a patriarchy where I've definitely said that, that um, I've not asked the questions that have been needed to ask. I've not gleaned. I've not, I've not sat at the feet of women. I've not listened. I've done that. So I'm confessing that today, that I've done that. I'm confessing that sometimes, and if you go to this church often, you know we say God is mother, and we say it in our prayers, and we say it in our songs, and I'm telling you that it's so ingrained within me sometimes that sometimes I hear us say God is mother, and my initial reaction is that can't be right. Because it's so ingrained in me. And so I'm going to start by saying I'm sorry, and by repenting, and by asking and confessing that I'm wrong, and that I've gotten in the way of what God has intended for this place, and that I want accountability doing better. And men, I'm going to ask you to join me in that. Because I don't think I'm alone. God, I hope I'm not alone. <laughs> I think what we need to start doing is, is not just confessing and not repenting, but then we take steps towards learning. And we take steps towards hearing wisdom. And so I'm so thankful for the fact that we sort of started this as a church. As a church, we have incredible women like Hannah Johnston and Sarah New and Mira Joyner. We're going to have Juan Park. She's going to come and speak in the next couple weeks. And we get to hear women. And when we get to hear women, don't be like, oh, that's nice. We're hearing from a woman. What are we learning? How are we gleaning from them? Wisdom is speaking. Let's start to change our posture and say, they are my teacher. And how can I learn the most I can possibly learn from them? That's a start. And let's continue to do that over and over and over. Let's let women mentor us and coach us. Men, we've been hesitant to do that. Let's just be honest. And it's time to start making really conscious choices to do the opposite, to be co-dominionship or co-dominioners, whatever that word is. I made it up just now. <laughs> and to say that we can all unite to bring the flourishing that God intends. This is what God has always intended. And men, I think lastly we just have to know that unwittingly or wittingly, we've had a role in oppression. We've had a role in patriarchy. And when we hear women tell us our stories, whether it be in a Me Too movement or a Church Too movement or whatever it might be, that we believe it. 
And we repent of that too. And we know that we've taken part in that. And that's hard for us men today to, to want to do. But I think as a church, talking about the good news of Jesus Christ, this is exactly what we are required to do. And when we do it, it becomes even better news because what we're doing is we are ushering in the kingdom of God, what God has always intended from the beginning when he said, Adam and Ezer, you are both one, you're both working as one and you're working together to bring the unity and the flourishing that God intended. May we do that with all who identify as male and all who identify as female and all who identify as genderless. Let's do that together. We get to bring in the good news of Jesus Christ. So long as we start to listen and hear and sit at the feet of wisdom. Women, because I've been mansplaining this whole message, um, I didn't quite know how to end. But last year I went to a conference, and at the conference was Lisa Sharon Harper, who um, she speaks a lot about this topic, and she spoke at our church. And um, she prayed this prayer at this conference I was at. This conference was a conference about equity and equality. I just thought maybe we could end by praying her words together. Can you close your eyes with me? I want all of us to close our eyes and ask God to show you the part of yourself that feels strong, the part of your voice that feels rich and full and like it might have something stored up that is worthy of taking space in the world. Those of us who identify as women especially, close your eyes and ask God that God would show you what it looks like to have something stored up taking space in this world. It's a strong space. It's a full space. It's a weighty space. God sees your strength and listen as God whispers to your soul, this is very good. And God, we thank you for making women who are strong and full and worthy of taking up space, created with the call and capacity to exercise dominion. Pray this in your name. Amen.